Well, open your word real quickly to Acts chapter 2. Let's look at this passage for us, share a few thoughts. Acts chapter 2. There was a day in your life where your Bible flopped open to Acts because we lived in Acts for quite a while. Now it flops open to Exodus, I realize that. I'm not sure why there's an Exodus sign up there. We're not even doing Exodus today. Did somebody attending a different church this morning? You guys want to join us here at Lakeview Christian Center? We're not in Exodus. I know that the momentum carries us there. Let's open by looking at this word. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through verse 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well Father we are eager to peer into your word this morning. And Lord, we are aware of this. Without your help, Spirit of God, without your involvement with us, we're not eager to peer into your word. Uh, we're busy with other things. We are enamored by something else. We are captured and we're just glad we managed to get here this morning, much less pay attention carefully. So Spirit of God, we need you at work in our hearts. Settle us in this place. God, of all the places we can be emotionally and all the places we can be mentally and all the world problems we're fixing in the back of our mind right now. God, help us just be here with you, fully engaged, listening carefully to your Spirit lead us. God, open your word to us and open our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, if you didn't know it, is Pentecost Sunday. And what's interesting about Pentecost Sunday, I think I said, shared this last week, it doesn't get nearly the exciting press that Easter gets. You know, anybody got any lunchtime plans today. You know, Easter, you've got plans afterwards, right? I mean, you're going to have a family meal. You're going to go out and eat something. Or Christmas, for goodness sake, right? Giant plans. Everybody's aware. The family's in tune. There's, there's a lot going on. But quite honestly, today is Pentecost Sunday, and many, many churches won't even say anything about that. They'll just kind of preach a message. And, and listen, I'm, we've done that. I've done that here. But when you look into the scriptures or where we're going to look today, you're going to find that there is, there is a feature element about Pentecost Sunday. It, it's not a secondary thought. It's not just something that's, well, it sits in a category of lesser importance. It, it actually sits as a centerpiece of what God was doing in the Bible. Right? Jesus is going to say something. I titled the message today, it is finished, but there's more. That sounds contradictory. Well, how can there be more if it's finished? But yet when you look today in these passages, the very one who from the cross accomplished something that he could declare from that moment, it is finished, is also the very one who then turns to his disciples and says, but there's more. 
And that's what Pentecost is about. You know, if you're not careful, I don't know how, you know, maybe different folks here have, have interacted with the Bible at a different level. Not everybody's in the same place. Maybe you're just picking it up for the first time, or maybe you read little devotional elements from it. But if you're not careful, you will lose the big picture of the Bible very, very quickly. You'll lose the main thing that it's about very, very quickly. And it's very easy, very common to turn the Bible into something that it never was intended to be. Sort of a moral advice book. A book about how to do life better. How to, how to live with certain principles in place. Because all of us are trying to figure out, how do we do life? What do I do next in whatever category in my life right now has got pain in it? Or it's got a need in it? Right? I'm just trying to figure out how to, how to move forward, how to be better in that category. So we pick the Bible up and you know, the Bible gives advice to fathers. And so it bothers, take some advice, be a better father. Mothers, don't do this, do that. Okay, that's helpful. Children, make sure you're this way. Nations, nations, don't do this, live by this. And all of a sudden this becomes a book of principles. That we take these principles and we compare them with how we're living. And we say, hey, we, we probably ought to make some adjustments here. And so let's, let's not live life this way. Let's not do marriage that way. It sounds like the Bible wants us to do it this way. And so, you know, the Bible's a book about human improvement, isn't it? It's an advice book about how to do life better than the way in which you were doing it before. And then you stand in the pulpit and you preach messages that sound like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what the Bible's about, right? That's not what the Bible's about. Although it talks about a lot of that. The Bible is going to have an influence on how you do all those things. How you live with money in your life and what priorities do you make and how do you, what do you do with the energy level that you've got and how do you care about people? It's, it's going to touch all those things. But, but the Bible is primarily about one thing. One thing. It is about recovering that which was lost. Now, if you open the Bible up with that mindset, with an awareness that I'm reading a book that's about recovering that which was lost, well, the first question is, well, what was lost? And when did that happen? And what does that even mean? Well, something was lost in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. The presence of God dwelling in the heart of man was lost. And man would never be the same again. And the entire Bible is about that being restored. And we move from setting to setting, from character to character, from story to story, from Old Testament to New Testament. And this storyline is what the Bible is seeking to accomplish. It is seeking to restore that which was lost. And even when you get to Jesus Christ, who, you know, some people read the Bible without realizing Jesus Christ is the central figure of the Bible. It's not just an advice book where you and I are the central figures. Jesus Christ is the central figure of the Bible. But when we get to him, we need to be careful even there. That we don't conclude the story too fast. If you've been in the church for a while, you know I I use this phrase and I use it intentionally because it forces us to think in two categories that are essential to getting the Bible right. When I describe Jesus Christ, I will refer to the person and work of Christ. You'll hear me say that a lot. The person and the work of Christ. Because both of them matter vitally 
to whatever it is that God's doing. Who Jesus Christ is, is as important as what he did. So the person of Christ, the life that he lived. So we pick up the Gospels, and some people do this. And you you find Jesus interacting with broken humanity. This guy over here is mean. He's mistreating that person. Jesus steps into that situation and takes up for the underdog, doesn't he? And he, he interferes with the way life is being done. And he lives a life on earth and he teaches all kinds of things. And so some people will zero in on this Jesus character and how he was the friend of the lonely and the down and out. And, and he came to take up for those who nobody else was taking up for. And then that's their Jesus. And they're done. And you can go on Oprah and you can go on any TV program and talk about that Jesus and everybody's cool with you doing that. No one gets offended by you talking about a Jesus who came to take up for the down and out, to help the poor guy. But how many of you know that Jesus' story is barely being told when you tell that story? That's barely the story of Jesus Christ. So you you can't end the story here. It's not finished. It keeps going. So he lived a life. He affected people. He taught things that were radical. And then he went to a cross to die a bloody, violent death. He went to a cross because he interacted with something that infected all of humanity. The reality that the wages of sin is death. That sentence is upon every human being who's ever lived. Jesus Christ was the one human being for whom it didn't apply. Because he had never sinned. So you have a hard time explaining, well then how did Jesus die? You understand, there's nothing of sin to cause his heart to stop beating. There's nothing of sin... To bring a sentence that will bring his life to a conclusion. So how does Jesus Christ ever die? Well, the Bible says that he gave up his life. No one took his life from him. The Romans didn't even take his life from him. They nailed him to a cross. But he gave up his life. What was he doing when he gave up his life? He was taking our place and taking our penalty and entering into the death that is ours and that's an incredible thing and we preach the cross and we talk about this incredible event but you can't stop there because that's not all that Jesus did is it without the resurrection Jesus is just another person who died and was buried in the ground and the resurrection comes along and says no this is unusual this is not like any other death ever The God of the universe who has the power over life and death raises Christ from the dead as a proclamation, the Bible says to everyone, that what Christ has done is accepted by God. He has paid the price for us and that has been accepted by God and God validates that and puts it on display by raising him from the dead. But the story doesn't end there either. Even though from the cross, Jesus would say it is finished. Well, it really wasn't finished in one regard because the resurrection hadn't yet come. And then Jesus begins to look at the end of his life towards something else. The last moments of Jesus' life, he's already moved on to the next big thing. 
right? He, he has been teaching them about the crucifixion, about him going to die and be raised again. Now he's beginning at the end of his life, we'll see this in just a second, he's going to begin to set his focus on that which is going to happen after that. So there's something coming. All this stuff leads up to something. And it's the storyline of the Bible. Something was lost that God is going to recover in our lives. And that's very much what Pentecost is about. John Piper says this, the aim of cooking is eating. And this is profound. This, is, this, this works in New Orleans, especially after we've been introduced to crawfish through the prophetic word. The aim of digging wells and clearing springs is drinking. Everything Jesus came to do and teach is aimed at providing the soul with food and drink that satisfy forever. What kind of a message would we have if we tell the story about this Jesus who came, sandal feet and all, Teaching these profound things, challenging ideas, bringing a radical view of human existence to bear, and then dying for a noble cause, and even being resurrected from the dead, but none of that ever finds its way into the human soul. We'd have an incredible story that seems to not land anywhere, but God intended that this story would do something to us why does Jesus do all this why is the Bible portraying all this because God is restoring something in us by what he did we cook so that we can eat well Jesus did something so that we could experience and have something in our very possession and this is what Jesus was very very concerned about for his disciples to get I think he's still concerned for us to get it turn to the gospel of John with me in John chapter 13 through 18, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, you know, the, the gospel of John, uh, with all of its number of topics that it's going to cover and all the things that it's going to venture in and out of, but you know, it's, it's, it's 21 chapters of the story of Jesus' life. But interesting, from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 18, it's just a few hours. A big old chunk of the gospel of John, just a few hours the final moments of Jesus' ministry among his disciples, the night that he was betrayed. That's what we pick up in John 13. Listen to what's on the mind of Jesus on the eve of his crucifixion. What do you want to talk about with us, Jesus? John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So what a clarifying moment here for the disciples. They're aware that there's some kind of operation, some kind of presence of the Spirit of God in their lives. Jesus clarifies that that's about to shift and change. 
You have known him as his presence has been with you, but you are about to experience him in you. Look in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, I'm very tempted to run off on all these passages, and I'm going to try not to. I'm just trying to make a point here with all these. But they're going to receive an invisible presence into their lives. And Jesus just made a comparison right there. He says, I have been with you, but I'm not going to be with you. The Father's going to send another helper. He is going to be with you. But how many of y'all get... He's not going to be with you the way Jesus was with you. Right? Jesus was flesh and blood. He spoke with words. His words were heard through your ears. Your mind interacted with what he said a particular way. But when the spirit comes, he will be a spirit and he will not interact with you the same way. But, Jesus says, it's he who's going to lead you into all the truth. So you're going to continue to learn. You've been learning from Jesus. The world was amazed by the teaching of Jesus. No one ever said the things he said. But now the Spirit is going to come. How many of you recognize you're going to need to learn to hear the Spirit differently than they learned to hear from Jesus? Because he just said, you know, I have been with you and he has been with you, but he's going to be in you and you might not recognize that. I'm telling you these things in advance so that when they happen, Jesus says, you'll, you'll remember I said this to you. Because hearing the Spirit is an acquired taste, if you will. It's, it's a learned element. When Jesus showed up in a physical body and used physical language to speak, they were already familiar with how that operates. The Spirit doesn't speak that way. Do you, do you recognize how the Spirit speaks? I, I would venture to say many, many Christians do not. And I would venture to say about myself, a little. I, I hear him a bit. There's a lot of room for more in my life. Right? This, is the, this is a different experience. John chapter 16, same night, right? We haven't got to 18, so we're not even to the betrayal yet. This is just meal talk. John 16, verse 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Isn't it amazing that the church really doesn't believe that statement even though the well-informed perfect son of God made it how many of us really believe to be better if Jesus were here this morning with us it'd certainly be better if he was preaching from the pulpit this morning wouldn't it (laughs) 
It'd be better if he was the greeter who greeted you on the way in today. It'd be better if he was just here, right? That would just be an upgrade. But yet here the Son of God says, no. It is to your advantage. It is better for you if I go and the Spirit comes. Right? This is Jesus last night. He is shifting the emphasis here. He, he's, he's not giving a lesson on the atonement right now. He's not speaking about what his blood will do to cleanse. Now, he's taught all kinds of things about that. The Bible is very clear about that. But you can see here Jesus, he is shifting the agenda here and putting their attention somewhere else. John chapter 17, same night, verse 26. I made known to them, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer before the Father. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Right? Suddenly this new thing God is doing is going to go internal. Everything is in you. Jesus is going to be in the disciples. He was with them, but he's going to be in them by the Spirit. The Spirit was with you. He's going to be in you now. So this dwelling of God is going internal. Verse Turn back just for a second. John chapter 7. This is earlier. This is not the same night. This is Jesus earlier on in his ministry anticipating this day that was coming. And this is going to put some particular time frame in front of us for what Jesus was highlighting on the last night. John 7 verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Right, this is critically important because when we interact with what Jesus is doing for the rest of his ministry, he has already put a flag in the ground. From this verse on, where he says, there's a day coming when I am glorified that's going to kick into gear a new dimension of the Spirit operating amongst the people of God. So he's already said, this is when this takes place. doesn't take place right now, not right here, can't happen yet. It awaits a moment, and that moment is when Jesus has been glorified. And this is, a, this is a rich verse. This is an explanation of what is it going to be like when the Spirit goes internal inside of people. John Piper says, there was an experience of the Spirit that could not be enjoyed until Jesus had died for our sins, been raised triumphant over death, and ascended to the right of the Father in glory. So something's going to happen differently there, right? What's going to happen when the Spirit comes this way, which, which we know today is Pentecost Sunday. When that happens, there is going to be a different drinking of the Spirit by the people of God. A soul-satisfying thirst, is going to be affected by the presence of the Spirit of God. You and I are to experience something that feels like my soul 
just got satisfied. It just came in. My soul was out cutting the hot grass and sweating buckets and feeling parched. And whatever Pentecost does, it makes me feel like sort of the nesty plunge. You guys who are old enough to remember that, right? Cold, shimmering ice cubes inside of that tea glass. Uh, your soul wants to feel that way. And the Bible's description of the operation of the Spirit from Pentecost on, like that. And, and not just satisfying us, but out of us would flow these rivers of living water. That you and I would have such an abundance of life that we would have life to give away. And that life would flow out of us. We wouldn't just be these people on earth that are just grabbing for somebody. Somebody come meet my needs. Somebody be something to me. Somebody applaud me. Somebody appreciate me. Somebody fix my world. I just need all of you to behave a certain way. Because I'm just empty on the inside. What do you got for me? What you got? Give me some of that. You got something for me? Children, wife, friends, anybody. You got something for me? How many know Christians are still living that way after Pentecost? Somebody dropped the ball. Jesus said that when the Spirit came at Pentecost, he would be something to you like a river that flows, that satisfies your deepest longings. Satisfies them. Not desperately having to have you bring me a cup of water. I've got a river flowing out of me. As a matter of fact, would you like a cup of water? Here, I've got some. I've got some to give away. I can serve you. I can lay my life down for you. I can give away. I'm not standing in line desperate for you to give me just a thimbleful. I'm so desperate. I'm so, I'm so parched. What a horrible advertisement in this world today the church is. When it's just as desperate for somebody out there to fix what's going on in here as anybody is. Do you read these verses? Does this jump off the page? That there's coming a day. When the Spirit of God will operate differently in you. He's been with you, but He is going to be in you. What a day that's going to be. It's going to be a day of overflowing abundance. It's going to be a day where the Spirit is doing so much inside of you to just start spilling out on those around you. How many of us feel like sometimes just in our, our Christian life, just I just don't have an ounce to give anybody else. I just don't have an ounce to give away. You might want to go upstream and figure out what just dammed up your river. Because right? I'm walking around on dry riverbed, got nothing going on here. Okay. Walk upstream until you find some beavers at work who have built something and find out who those beavers are and get them out of your life. Because they have dammed up something that was supposed to be a living waters that flew out of our lives and flowed into others. That's what Jesus, and I'm not resisting preaching all these verses. All right, John chapter 20. A couple of interesting things happen here. This is post-resurrection. Verse 17. Remember the morning Mary comes to find Jesus at the tomb after his resurrection. Jesus responds to her and says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So whatever it was that Jesus was waiting for still hasn't happened. 
That river of life that's going to be given in the day that he's glorified has not yet been given. It still hasn't happened, right? So the next scene here, John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That verse has troubled more theologians than you can shake a stick at. Because then you should be feeling troubled right now as well because you should be realizing, wait, 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 Jesus said until he is glorified, the Spirit's not going to be given this way. But he has a little gathering with his disciples and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is not Pentecost. What is it? It's a different message. That's what it is. (laughs) So it's not for this morning. But I will say this. If you rewind, remember the Bible's about one thing. If you rewind and you go all the way back to the beginning, God is going to form from the dust of the earth, Adam. And he's going to do what? Breathe into him the breath of life. And man will become a living soul. If nothing else, Jesus is re-illustrating that point. To breathe again. This, this hasn't been revisited since Eden. Right? This is the one thing God is doing. He is recovering that which was lost. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. But there's still more, right? Flip back to, to Luke. Go back one gospel. The very end of the story from Luke. And listen to Jesus' words and his anticipation. Again, this is post-resurrection. It is finished. Jesus has already said that from the cross. It's finished. But he's going to say, but there's still more. Even though it's finished. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. See that word fulfilled? That's what Jesus is saying when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished. But there's more. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Something hasn't happened yet. The Son of God who declares it is finished now says, wait, there's more. Acts chapter 1, last passage. Look at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. 
It says, while staying with them, right, this is before Jesus has been ascended. This is after his resurrection, but before he has ascended back into the presence of the Father in heaven. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right, now we're getting some vocabulary to describe this event. There's been this day that's coming. There's this thing that's going to happen. It's a waiting for Jesus to accomplish his mission and then be ascended back into glory with the Father. And then something's going to happen. And now we're going to start accumulating some language for this thing. And Jesus teaches us that this thing is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, there's another vocabulary word. Something's about to happen that's going to be described by the words come upon you. The Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So Jesus is still pointing in, in forward for this. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, now we're ready. Everything Jesus said needed to take place has been accomplished. He has fulfilled it. And he has ascended back into glory. He has been glorified. Whatever this river of living water that was going to be given... Whatever this baptism in the Spirit, whatever this coming upon of the Spirit, now we're ready. And that's when we get to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is happening right here? Well, this is Pentecost. It takes its name from a festival that was installed in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai. But what it means for these is also what it means for us. And there is some rich, rich imagery here that having spent all the time that we've spent at Mount Sinai, we can better appreciate now than maybe we could have without visiting at Exodus in Mount Sinai. There is this event that takes place here. An unscripted event. Jesus said something about something coming, but he didn't describe anything about wind. He didn't talk about fire. He certainly didn't warn them you're going to start speaking in a language that you don't know. Or maybe he did. It's not recorded in the scriptures. 
So all of a sudden, an event comes down from heaven with a script that they don't have a whole lot of reference for the details of this thing. And it just begins to happen. This mighty rushing wind, almost like a tornado sounding a train, freight train kind of an event begins to break out in the room where they've gathered. And then something, since you and I have just come fresh from Mount Sinai, something we should know what it is. Fire appears among men. But it does something different this time. It does something that no one's ever seen it do before. At Mount Sinai, the nation gathered around Mount Sinai and fire descended from heaven and it sat on the summit of the mountain. And only Moses went up into that fire. The fire that was manifest in the burning bush. The fire that would be manifest in the tabernacle when God's presence would dwell there. What was this fire? It was the manifest presence of God at Mount Sinai. It was the manifest presence of God in the tabernacle. What is it here? It's not a trick question. It's the manifest presence of God, but it's doing something different. It's not in one place. It's no longer at an address called a tabernacle or a temple. It's been distributed amongst God's people. And there are these tongues of fire that have come to each individual now. Guess what? That which was lost is being restored. Jesus had breathed the breath of life back into these men, I think making clear to them what was happening, the return of God's life to them, and then the manifesting of God's presence would be distributed amongst every person who believed. And you and I know that, having visited the Old Testament. But Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you right this is pentecost language this never happened before well it did happen but it wasn't the normative happening but it's what jesus was pointing to god's spirit dwells in you if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy him for god's temple is holy and you are that temple why do we have this tabernacle illustration in the old testament that turns into the temple That turns into what? This is the next installment in this revelation from God. God dwelt in a temple in the Old Testament. Where does he dwell today? In a different temple. In a distributed temple. In a fire that sits on each person who has been brought to God by his grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. Where did he say that? In Exodus chapter 25, where we just visited. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what God was accomplishing from cover to cover. If you start in Genesis and you land in the book of Revelation, you're going to find out this is what God is recovering. That which was lost. And suddenly the Bible starts to make sense. It's just not some random collection of stories. You know, be inspired by Abraham and try to be an Abraham kind of guy. 
Look at David. Little guys can do big things, can't they? Look at me, pick those rocks up and he flung and he took down a big giant. You can be a big giant killer too. I mean, do you hear people use the Bible this way? No mention of that which was lost. Just inspirational little stories for you to pick up and do your life with. You can be like them. That's not what this Bible is about. It's about that which was lost in Eden. Sin caused a separation between the God of the universe and every human being. And the presence of God that dwelt in the hearts of men was lost. And then this tabernacle thing got introduced. God said, I will dwell among you. I'll be right here in this tent. And you'll live this way and I will manifest myself this way. And then there comes another day of installment. There's a unique installment in the person of Christ. So he is the dwelling presence of God on earth. But the next installment for this tabernacle is you and me become the dwelling places of God. Now how many of you guys recognize if you read all the way to the end of the book and you read Revelation chapter 21, there's another temple in heaven. The dwelling place of God. So, you know, hey, listen, don't think you've arrived yet. You just, you're just living on some much more expensive real estate than the dudes in the Old Testament did. But what's coming is the ultimate fulfillment of that. So we're not quite home yet. And we're not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit of God yet. And quite honestly, you couldn't experience the fullness of the Spirit of God in this fallen world yet. But there's coming a new heavens and a new earth, right? Where that's going to all change. But this is the thing that God is doing. Now, here's, here's what I want to draw our attention to. Coming out of the tabernacle, because remember, this is God's story. God has installed these concepts so that we can get this thing. So he installs the tabernacle so when those tongues of fire sit on their head, you know, I've got a bunch of guys in the room there that are looking at that. Uh, I don't think they, they're like totally clueless, like, oh my gosh, is the ceiling on fire? What is this? I, I think they recognize, I think there's a sense of amazement of what is transpiring right here. The God who has dwelt in a temple dwells in us. He has come to be in each one of us. Now, listen, these are God's ideas. God installs them. The last thing in the world any of us want to do is start deciding whether or not we're okay with his ideas. Remember that tabernacle thing? Remember all the details? There was a structure to it. Curtains around it. There were veils. There was color. There were certain types of metals that got used all over the place. There were particular furnishings that went into this tabernacle. Six pieces of furniture that, would, that God designed, explained, and gave to the people of Israel. There were rituals that were installed. There was a yearly calendar that God installed. There were things that you did and things that you didn't do. There was a way to approach God. All this stuff comes down from God. And you know, previous to the tabernacle, if you back up into the history of God's people... Well, how does God show up before that? Randomly, every once in a while, to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, just out of nowhere, God would just show up or he would send an angel to manifest his presence there amongst these people. And then the tabernacle comes. 
How many guys recognize the tabernacle was a bit different than what the Old Testament patriarchs had gotten used to? All of a sudden, there's all this new stuff. All these furnishings that mean things and all this approach and all this timing and when you can and when you can't. It was different than what had gone before it. It was unfamiliar to them. I mean, the Bible doesn't really record this, although it actually does a little bit in the rebellion at Korah. A little bit of a question as to whether or not this stuff was right. It's peculiar. It's different. It requires, uh, hey, can you give us some of your gold that you got in your pockets? Can you give us some of your stuff because we're going to build a tabernacle? Oh, yeah, right. I've heard this before. Where the heck did you get this idea from? You know, that's not what God did with Abraham. God just showed up with Abraham and his wife cooked a meal and they hung out and had a meal together and God revealed himself to him and made promises to him. I don't know anything about all these tents, all this stuff we got to carry around. You know how hot it is in the desert. Why the heck do we have to carry this stuff? Can you imagine people saying, that's not what God did before. I got a problem with it. Here comes a tabernacle. It's unfamiliar. It's different. Here comes Pentecost. It's unfamiliar. And it's different. Isn't it amazing that some Christians today, not sure they're good with it. Not sure that they're okay with this thing, this Pentecost thing. It's got some weird stuff in it, doesn't it? You reading the same story I'm reading here? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't even know what that is. What the heck is that? And began to speak in other tongues. Well, the first thing I don't know about, but the second thing is just weird. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, just hang in here, right? God reinstalls his presence among his people with this thing called the tabernacle. It was full of weird stuff. Different. Not the way the guys before them had done it. Not what they were familiar with. It came down out of heaven. Moses, come up here in the heaven. Take notes carefully. What you see up here, I want you to go down and build. This is from heaven. It's a revelation. It's different than what you're used to. But it is what I'm telling you to do. And then the day of Pentecost comes. And it's not exactly like Mount Sinai. But it's a little similar. But there's some other stuff here. How many of you know that God might have a few things that you and I have never been around? Anybody ever thought about that? That every once in a while, God might do something that's kind of like, hey, you know, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't have a reference book for that one. Well he, well, he is the infinite God of the universe. He might have a few things that we're going to have to learn to get used to. Well, he shows up here on the day of Pentecost. This is a loaded question. Don't raise your hands. How many of you are Pentecostal Christians? How do you answer that question? That means something, doesn't it? Hey, are you Pentecostal? It does something to some people. Let's just pretend for a moment that you're getting introduced to this term without any baggage. And you read this story for the first time. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. This is what happened. God showed up amongst a group of followers. There was some unique fanfare that took place that they hadn't seen before. 
and some concept of something called they were filled with the Holy Spirit took place. Well, that's got some baggage with it too, doesn't it? And then we learn, if we keep reading the book of Acts, we we learn, and we read from what Jesus said, we learn that this, this thing called being filled, there's something out there called being filled with the Spirit. There's something there. Something they didn't experience before. Something that was unique in an experience. They were filled with the Spirit. Jesus said the same event. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he was pointing to the same event. So I think it's safe for us to say this filling in, this baptizing of the same thing. He said that when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So there's some kind of a come upon dimension of the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God comes upon human beings. It sounds like a, a sudden event and it was a sudden event right there. And then we keep reading in the book of Acts and we find other vocabulary words that fill in this. We find an encouragement throughout the rest of the New Testament to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Christians who are already Christians, who already have experienced the Spirit of God giving them new life, are being told, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same way this was explaining, these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was, there's something here for the Christian life called being filled with the Holy Spirit. We learn that by reading this story. And we learn that this is, this is an expressive dimension. They, they experienced, it's an experiential dimension. It's not like other things. I, if I'm a Christian, I believe in heaven. I believe there's a, there's a reality, there's a place that exists where the souls of those who belong to Christ will live forever. I believe that. I've never experienced it. And the way the Bible speaks about it, it tells me one day I will experience it, but I don't have any expectation that I would experience it here. Why? Because the Bible doesn't make it sound like I should ever experience it here. How many of you know my belief in heaven is different than my belief in being filled with the Spirit? Because in the Bible, what gets modeled by being filled with the Spirit is an experiential dimension. They didn't sit in the upper room and have a conversation with each other going, did you feel that? Feel what? You didn't feel that? No, what? Do you feel any different? Uh, maybe. Th- this is not what the conversation looks like. Matter of fact, anytime somebody is being pointed out in the scriptures that they were filled with the Spirit, there's no head scratching, pondering, I wonder what heaven will be like. They experience something. So apparently, whatever this thing is, you and I are just coming to Pentecost. We're not coming with our baggage, we're just coming and learning. There's an experiential dimension to the Spirit of God filling people, falling upon people, baptizing people, coming to them with power. To conclude otherwise is to not conclude what the Bible says. Well, what kind of experiences might you have? Well, I think it's a long list, quite honestly. But in this particular context, one thing. Followed by another thing, which I think was very much the Spirit. But one thing. They begin to speak in tongues. Alright, this is where it gets weird. Really? Any weirder than the uh, tabernacle? 
You're going to take one goat, you're going to bring him in, you lay your hands on him and transfer your guilt to this goat. And that one of them's going to get led off into the wilderness and the other one's going to get slaughtered with blood all over the place. Oh, and you're going to take a little bit of that blood, you're going to put it on your finger, and only one of you, not all of you, and only once a year, and you're going to go behind a veil that nobody ever goes behind it, nobody knows really what's back there. And you're going to sprinkle some of that blood on this thing called a mercy seat. Do you find that normal? God lowers some things down from heaven that are just peculiar. They're different than us, but they're from God. Pentecost is from God. The experiential dimension, the spirit comes and impacts people's lives. And here they speak in tongues. And elsewhere in the book of Acts, they begin to prophesy. They begin to say things and proclaim things about God's nearness among them. Current relevant events and things that are about to happen. They begin to exercise an ability to do what they couldn't do on their own. But isn't that what Jesus said? When the Spirit comes, you will receive power. What does he mean by that? I don't think he just meant you're going to glow like a light bulb. You're going to receive power to do things that you couldn't do on your own. You're going to receive an inner churning that sends you into places. And that's what happens next. This apostle Peter, who remember, couldn't remember who Jesus was just a few days earlier in public. All of a sudden, stands up before everybody and begins to preach to that crowd. Knowing he could lose his head for this. They crucified Jesus. Just, what, 52 days earlier? They crucified Jesus. And now all of a sudden, this man's going to preach in public and he's going to tell them, you crucified the Lord of glory. Where did he get that kind of boldness? Well, Jesus did say you'd receive power. How about some power not to be a wimp? How many of you guys would like some power not to be a wimp? I would. There's all kinds of things I'm afraid of. God, help me. I get up every morning and say, God, I need, I need power. I know I don't have the power I need to do all kinds of things that the kingdom of God requires of us to do. How many of y'all are Pentecostal Christians? By the time you leave here, I hope everybody's a Pentecostal Christian. Because quite honestly, when I open the Bible up, I can't find another version of a Christian. There isn't anything else but Pentecostal Christians. This is how God comes to us. Now, now, how we get weird with this has got a bunch of baggage attached to it, but I just want to attack some of the, the bad philosophies that are here. You know, nobody visits the tabernacle with these. Let's do that. Let's, let's go back in time. Let's, take, let's pick up our anti-Pentecostal ideas and run back to the tabernacle with them for a second. Because remember, Pentecost is the next chapter in the dwelling of God among men. That's what it is. So let's go back to the previous chapter with some of these ideas. And let's see whether we're okay with that. Let's sit amongst the tabernacle, that, that, that place that we have recognized is an intimidating setting. And let's have a conversation. Let's do it outside the big tent, big curtain, because it probably wouldn't be safe to have this conversation in close. And let's have conversations that sound like this. You know, I don't know. No, don't get me wrong. I'm good with about four out of six of the furnishings. But, you know, that, that altar, that... A lot of blood, a lot of mess. I don't know. You know, I'm not, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm good with the table of showbread. That's kind of cool. Everything. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm good with uh, the lamp. You know, everybody needs light. That's good. 
that, you know, the incense altar, that's kind of weird to me too. I don't, I don't know about that. You ever heard anybody do that with the tabernacle? This thing lowered down out of heaven, revealed through Moses. Nobody takes up pieces of it. Nobody runs around making arguments that the tabernacle has ceased. Tabernacle ceased. You know, we're two years out from the tabernacle revelation. Oh, that ceased. That, that, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, I don't even see anybody in the New Testament fighting for the tabernacle to continue because you know emphatically that the tabernacle has ceased when you get to the New Testament. Because the Bible makes it absolutely clear. How many of you guys know God can say stop and he can be clear when he says that? So you don't have these New Testament Christians where half of them are going off into a, I don't know about this presence of God thing like you guys are talking about. We're just going to stick with the tabernacle. No, no one sticks with the tabernacle in the New Testament. They clearly recognize that is over because the new has come. But yet we get to Pentecost and the Spirit of God shows up a certain way and somewhere off into the future we decide, I don't think that continues. I don't think that's for today. You know, based on God's track record, when will this thing stop? When the next one starts. How will you know when miraculous power and gifts of the Spirit and being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit is over? Well, you will be standing in glory and you will not need any of that anymore. And this tabernacling of God among us, actually there won't be any light anywhere. A lot of stuff's going to come to an end. He will be the light. You will be in a different place and none of this stuff will be necessary. And it'll be done differently. Just like this Pentecost event was done differently than the tabernacle. But to stand today and conclude that somehow this doesn't continue. And even more strangely... I know I'm kind of rattling some people's theology here, and you're welcome to come visit with me on this. Even more strangely, to stare back at it and go, I'm all right with like four out of six furnishings. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed that page. Where did it say that you could just like choose a majority? And which ones do you jettison? Do you say, no, that's, that's, not, for, that's not for me, or that's not for today? But that's what we do with Pentecost. Now, here's an interesting thing, right? Peter's got an interesting assignment on his hands. Right, stay there in Acts chapter 2. He's, he's going to now have to explain, what is this? What, what's happened here? So, when he goes to explain this, look in verse 14. This is how he explains the event called Pentecost. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea... And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days. Now if you've read your Bible carefully, you know the last days is not a day. It is a long season. And so what Peter explains at the inauguration of these days, his last days got inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. 
He says, in these last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's trying to explain what you just saw. God just did that. And he said before he was going to do it. And he just did it. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Right? This, is, this is how the Bible explains this event and it partners it together with experiential elements. Now listen, what Joel does is extremely helpful here. You know why it's extremely helpful? Because he doesn't mention anybody speaking in tongues. That's extremely helpful. Because... These events are recorded as examples, not as this only happens this way every time exactly like that. So some of you have been raised in the other direction. You've gotten around Pentecostal teaching that has so narrowed the work of the Spirit in a way that sort of set the rest of the Christian universe against you. The message that got preached on the day of Pentecost by the Apostle Peter doesn't mention tongues. It says, but this is what was prophesied. But it mentions something happening, doesn't it? It doesn't mention a room full of people that hope something happened. Something happened to you? I hope so. They prophesied. They spoke in tongues. Stuff happened. The Spirit showed up. Listen, when people gathered around the tabernacle and the presence of God was made manifest, they didn't go, was God here? Did you see that? I don't know, I think God was here. Well, by faith, I just believe God was here. <laughs> they experienced something that they knew God was here. And God shows up this way again in this setting. And so it is, Pentecost from this moment on is a last days phenomena. You and I live in the last days. We don't live in the days of the tabernacle. And we don't live in the days of the patriarchs. So if you and I are looking to experience the presence of God, don't look to the patriarch period and don't look to the tabernacle period. Look to the Pentecost period, the last days, and expect what the Bible says would show up at this time in our lives. And Joel speaks about that. In the last days, there would be these things like being filled with the Spirit and the Spirit being outpoured on us. And when that spirit was outpoured, you would receive power. And that power could be manifest in a variety of ways. And the book of Acts displays that variety. And they spoke in tongues quite often, by the way. And they prophesied quite often. And in other moments, God filled them. And they went out in public and spoke boldly. So much so as to put their lives on the line. Which they probably never would have done without the power of God active in them. They did things in faith. That God had energized inside of them. The spirit came with power. Listen, this is the time frame in which you and I are living. This is the common experience of every Christian. The tongues of fire sit on everybody who's trusted Christ. Because remember what we studied in Exodus 25? It was God's idea and God's passion that I would dwell among you. I want you to know my nearness. I want you to experience my presence. That which was lost, I am reinstalling. It's not the ultimate reinstalling, but it's pretty close. And God wants us to have it. 
I want to pray for us this morning. I want to ask you this question. And I want you to be really brutally honest with yourself. Have you, as a Christian, settled for something less than Pentecost? The Bible's filled with stories of people who settled for less. It can happen. God prophesied a promised land. He said 12 tribes would enter this promised land. And he told them, land of milk and honey, and how beautiful and awesome that it was. Two tribes get just on the edge of it and say, we're good. We don't need to go into the land. We like where we are. You know, you can be a follower of God and like not quite arriving. Not quite getting there. And that's just a common, common feature. There were plenty of people in Israel who had a revelation of the tabernacle and the purpose that it served who never showed up to the tabernacle. They knew it was there. They knew God would manifest himself there. And they just didn't show up. If you want to know why there's this big grouping of prophets that show up in a little while after we get into their history, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, because the people had lost what the tabernacle was about, neglected it, blew it off, or participated in it in a way that God never intended. Listen, we are quite capable of falling short of what God had in mind. And unfortunately, New Testament Christians think, well, yeah, but we're the New Testament people, so it's all automatic. No. That's why the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, 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 do not neglect the gift of God that's in you. What was that gift? It was a spiritual manifestation of the Spirit. And Timothy, with his resume, as impressive as a man he was, had to be told by the Apostle Paul, do not neglect that. Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. In you. All right, so does that create categories for you? Does that tell you that you're gifting the abilities that God has given you by the Holy Spirit can be looking like a pilot light inside of your stove, that little puttering thing that barely you can see it? You want to make sure it's on? And a roaring bonfire burning in your backyard, those are two different flames, aren't they? And the New Testament Christian gets told, fan that into flame. So based on what I see in the Bible, there's this incredible land that we live in called Pentecost that some of us can be staring at from a distance. Some of us can be experiencing it like a little pilot light. But what's clear in the Bible is when Jesus says, it is finished, the next thing he says, but there's more. And there's more for us today. So can we, can we invite God's presence? Let me give you a little preview of Summer Bible Jam. Summer Bible Jam this year is designed around experiencing the presence of God through the Word of God. Right, so that's what we're aiming at. That's what I'd ask you to be praying for as we start next week into that realm. And it's very much, this whole teaching, this whole wading through the tabernacle, this whole getting to the dwelling place of God and His manifest presence among us, standing today at Pentecost, starting this next week, 
I think this is what God wants to do among us. The God of the universe wants to dwell in our midst in ways that you and I know he's here. We experience his presence. It builds our faith. It affects our lives. But this got started at Pentecost. So let's stand up together. I want to ask you to consider something as we invite the Holy Spirit to pray. It is God's intention today for you and I to experience the presence of God Pentecost style. Not tabernacle style. Not patriarch style. Pentecost style. The falling upon, the coming upon, the empowerment presence of the Spirit of God that energizes gifts and abilities in our lives. That gives us faith for things we have never done. Boldness to step in ways that we would have never stepped. You need to take an honest look at where you're at right now. And you might find yourself in good company. I think Timothy's good company to be in. There's more. There's more from where I am. There's more. And there's this thing, this thing. This is what I want us to pray for this morning. And we're going to pray in this area. So kind of get used to the fact that we're going to spend some time every week waiting on the presence of God throughout this summer. So when we're done preaching, part of the first miracle will be shorter messages, but we'll wait and see on that. When we're done preaching, we're, we're, we're not done. So right now, we're not done. Pentecost gets inaugurated with the sudden coming of the power of God on people's lives. And and then the Bible continues to speak of being filled with the Spirit elsewhere. So I don't think that's a one-time dimension. I think that's an ongoing experience for the people of God. And there's something that this feeling of the Spirit can do in our lives. It, it sort of jump-starts some things for us. It jump-started Peter. He became a different man. After encountering the Spirit of God that way, suddenly he was a different man. And you guys are familiar with this. You're familiar with it on a daily basis. How many of you guys know what a capacitor is? All six of you. Great. Well, when you go home today... And you click on your air conditioner. You are benefiting from a capacitor. Little bitty dude sitting inside your air conditioning unit outside. That when the fan tries to kick on, it can't. Because it doesn't have enough power. Even though the electricity is plugged into it. It just doesn't have enough power to get it going. Your compressor would never come on. Even though it's got electricity flowing to it. Getting it going is the problem. There's this little thing tucked inside your air conditioner called a capacitor. And it stores electricity. A lot of it. Don't ever touch them. It's a big mistake. But it's a little bitty thing with a lot of power stored inside of it. And the minute you throw that switch, that capacitor downloads all that information into that motor. Along with the electricity that's flowing to it. And now, it gets going. 
I think that's a good description of being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit coming with power suddenly into our lives to get us going in ways that He has in mind. When was the last time you felt like you were filled with the Spirit? How would you like to be filled with the Spirit? you're willing to ask God this morning to fill you with the Spirit, receive from Him today, be impacted by Him today, and and, and if you're not, to come back next week and ask again and wait on God because you see something here that God installed in Pentecost that He desires to come and fill us with His Spirit. So let's pray just for a moment. Let's wait on God. You hoist in your own heart, looking at your own life, reminded as we stand in your presence the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth seeking those whose hearts are fully his Lord you are seeking hearts that long for Pentecost that long for the day that you would dwell in our midst in this amazing way this nearness, this power this encouragement, this strengthening of the inner man, this boldness, this courage, these gifts of the Spirit manifest, these gifts and fruit that accompany your nearness, your breath of life inside of us. Lord, you promised, you promised, you promised this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God, search this room for any heart that's sitting here this morning saying, I don't feel like I've got that power. Because you promised, Lord, power. And there are lives in this room that have been called to something. Big things, meaningful things, impossible things, raise the dead things. Proclaim liberty to the captives things. They're in this room. God, and there's no way we're doing any of that stuff, even though we have your life in us, without the power being manifest in our lives. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I I don't have the power that I need. I'm disconnected somehow. I'm lacking that power. I'm aware I need this power in my life. I I want you to come forward. I want us to pray this one. I want us to start this summer praying for the power of God to come in amazing Pentecost-type ways that energize the church and send us into what God has for us. Not in fear, not controlled, not lacking, not pondering, not overcome by what somebody else thinks or doesn't think. Not, not living in our own limitations. Not romanticizing. Oh, I remember the day when God was near to me way, way, way long ago. The feeling of the Spirit is an ongoing phenomenon. And whether or not it happens every day or not is not the point. It should happen again. 
and then it should happen again. Lord, would you stir faith in our hearts to receive? Would you stir a mindfulness of your intention for our lives? You intended for us to live in the power of Pentecost. You intended for us to be aware that there is a nearness of God with us, mindful of that. God, you intended for us to experience a power beyond our own. And to be aware that that power goes with us into whatever you've called us to do with our lives. And Lord, this morning gathered before you, Lord, are those that are saying, Lord, would you come again in my life with power? Would you come maybe for the first time with that power, Lord? Would you awaken and stir in me? Would you make me to know God was dear to me today, Lord? Today they knew it. Want to know it. We want to know it this morning. So, Lord, we, as we sing for a moment, God, awaken our hearts to you. God, stir dissatisfaction in our lives. Stir an ability to say, What I've got is not enough, and I'm not okay with it, God. I'm here this morning because I'm not okay with it. I want more. I know there's more, and I want more. God, stir us to ask and to seek and to knock in a way that we're not going away, God. We're not leaving without touching the hem of your garment. God, we will wrestle with you through the night until you meet us and you give us what we need. We can't keep doing life without the power you promised. God, break in. Break in this morning into our lives. Break in, God. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord Lord, hear our prayer Holy Spirit you are welcome come flood this place and fill the
just become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become to the Spirit, the unique way that He speaks and the way He engages us with feelings and empowerments and revelation, conviction and boldness and faith, character transforming love and joy and peace, gifts that empower our mission. want to be sensitive to just a prompting from you for some folks here this morning. I believe there are some here this morning that your past with its shame has become a dam upriver clogging up the flow of the Spirit, the river of life God intended for you to swim in and enjoy. God, I I pray right now you're opening eyes. I just believe your presence just does that. You just open eyes. Suddenly that which never had a means of escape, it never had a key to unlock it, 
never felt like it did. Lord, suddenly this morning, you are near to us. And there is courage and there is liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. So God, I pray right now you would move in this place for those who have a sense of past shame that touches today's life experience. Lord, by the Spirit, would you right now move in this place? God, would you illumine? Would you bring light? Lord, you're in your presence. There is light. God, bring light this morning. Let the haunting elements be dismissed. Let the taunt of this past event be overcome by your voice, by your nearness, by your awareness. God, I just want every person struggling here. Be mindful of what the presence of God did for a man named Peter. Who was cloaked in shame. The person he loved the most. He wouldn't even acknowledge he knew him. But that man goes on to live a life following Christ, being used by God. Matter of fact, he's the first one to speak up. What liberation. The man who once cowered at the threat that it might touch his life now speaks with boldness. He lives life as a different man. This is what your power does to us that we can never do for ourselves. So God, this morning, I just believe you want to serve notice for some whose lives have been characterized by past failures, past shame. Or you are near to the brokenhearted. Well, that's much more than a clever phrase. It's your nearness that's our good. So Lord, what liberty is where you are near to us? What fresh life comes when you breathe on us? Lord, I pray this morning, undam this river of life for some here. These little little beavers have been building walls based on shame and failure and accusations. Events from the past, near and far. God, this morning, by the power of your Spirit, would you break those places and begin to let that river of life flow again into hearts. God, not just satisfying the longings, but spilling over from their lives into other places, other people. God, may those who have been trapped become givers of life, Lord. Liberated to give away the abundance that now theirs. Uh, This is the day we live in. This is the age of Pentecost. The power and nearness of God among his people. So God, I close this morning just by praying for us this summer. With the same awareness Moses had. When he stood and he said, God, if your presence won't go with us, do not send us up from here. For how will anybody in this world know that we're different? 
unless you are among us doing different things, doing God-like things, breaking out in our midst in power. That's our only hope, Lord, for the mission you've given to us to live. And so, Father, would you be among us some awesome, radical, Pentecost-type ways this summer as we wait on you and you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.